Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Today, we're speaking with corporate lawyer and the founder of Salapore Law, Morvareed Salapore. Morvareed is a legal expert in commercial tech and startup law. She shares her valuable tips and advice for business owners on legal watchouts and common traps that people fall into when starting a business. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Morvareed. How are you doing? Good, thank you. And you're calling in from one of my favorite cities. So tell us where you're calling in from today. Sure. I am from Los Angeles near Santa Monica. Beautiful. Oh my God. I love Santa Monica. <laughs> I remember when I went over there. British people love Santa Monica. I know. It's because we grew up watching all the LA shows. Like I was obsessed with the OC when I was younger. So I just have this romanticized view. And then I went and it was just great. So it is a beautiful. beautiful place. Yeah. I mean, I love it too. I'm a native, so I've never left. <laughs> you oh, grew up amazing. there and, and then you... I grew up in LA and I love it, so I've stayed. So did you go away to school or... No, you didn't. You went to UCLA, right? So you've been in yeah, the... I, yeah. I've lived in the LA area the whole time. I've loved it. So it's just the goal is continue moving towards the, the ocean, get closer and closer. <laughs> there you go. I mean, when you're born in the best place, like why leave? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I... I I haven't done seasons ever either, so it's kind of hard to leave when I don't know what real winter's like. (laughs) Do you own a coat? Uh, Yes, I do own coats, but this is what I learned (laughs) from having traveled to East Coast and other places where this winter, anything that is purchasable in L.A. is not a coat for anywhere (laughs) where there's winter. (laughs) No, it's not. Oh, that's funny. So you are quite accomplished, um, and we just wanted to talk to you. Your area of expertise in law is is incredibly interesting, Um, and we want to talk to you about first your journey and then some advice that you have for others that are either going on a similar journey or um, that could benefit from your expertise while they're opening businesses, um, you know, launching startups and that kind of thing. Yeah, but we want to know how you got to where you are. So can you tell us about your life and how you started your career? Tell us everything. Sure, (laughs) sure. Uh, Well, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer from a very young age. I really, you know, law and order, all these legal shows really kind of drew my attention and made it seem so fun and interesting. So (laughs) I was probably about, you know, between eight and eight and nine that I decided this is what I wanted to do. And I really worked towards that. And, you know, uh, even when, when I was in high school, I didn't have any lawyers in my family. So I'm the first lawyer. Yep. Uh, yeah. So I had found some lawyer in the, you know, the local community where my parents lived and kind of said, well, do you mind if I come kind of, you know, kind of work in your like intern at your office for, you know, a day or a a day, a week, something over the summer so I can just get some sense of what it's all about. <laughs> yes, yes, wow. yes. And that's a big thing. Becoming yeah. the first of something in your family is a big thing, whatever that is, mm-hmm. especially becoming the first lawyer. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's just when you when 
you don't know anyone who's really done it before. And like my parents also didn't have friends who were lawyers. So it was kind of, nobody knew anything about it. So you're kind of, you don't have the extra kind of benefits that come with someone being able to walk you through and knowing what to do. So it was definitely the whole, the whole process was a learning process for me. So when you were interning, how did expectation and reality meet? (laughs) From like watching Law and Order and all these glamorous shows, you just said like, oh, (laughs) or what happened? Well, you know, I think it was not an accurate representation of what being a lawyer is as well, right? As a teenager, you're not going to really be able to, they're not going to give you like real substantive work when you're interning. So it was kind of some office work. So I didn't really, it didn't really give me what I'd hoped as an accurate (laughs) representation. But again, not having a lawyer in my family, it's not like I knew, knew differently. Yeah. Um, But it it was nice to just try to still get some, that, that experience. And I started off at a big international law firm working with Fortune 100 companies. I worked on the team that did the recovery of funds and then made off Ponzi scheme. Mm. So all of this was very interesting and, uh, you know, exciting work. And I, you know, was in firms for eight years and I realized that, you know, it's, you know, I've learned a lot. It's been interesting, but they are like other corporate, uh, big corporate businesses kind of set in their ways and old fashioned, and they're not really adapting with the times. And I realized, you know, I am entrepreneurial Mm. and, I see a lot of change that that is necessary and happening. So I decided to leave and start my own law practice about three and a half years ago. Amazing. Yeah. And did you always want to do corporate law or was there any, any kind of, you know, thinking of doing like criminal or any of the other areas? Yeah, I always was interested in uh, business law and, and tech law. So it was always the area I was kind of interested in. I took some, you know, even law school, I took classes on on that and kind of knew from where you're on. I didn't want to do any of the criminal or family stuff, any of those kind of, I think those are, you know, cases could be interesting, but there's so, there's so much, um, I think emotions involved in that and mm. and so many people who are just, you know, not in a good time in their life that yeah. it just wasn't something I wanted to deal with. Yeah. 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 You know what's funny? It's I, I actually went through a divorce when I was young and I had um a female um guardian at Lightum. Mm-hmm. And she when I went back, I I was thinking about her one day. <laughs> One day, not too long ago, and, you know, this divorce was almost 10 years ago now, and when I went back and looked her up, she had started her own law practice, and it was all women, all female lawyers. Yeah, and it's nothing—I was so happy because she was there, you know, while I was going through a divorce, and she was very kind to my children and things like that, and, you know, and I was just so happy to see her making waves like that. Like, it's in a Midwestern city. Yeah, but, like, nothing made me happier to see her open her own firm. Like, it's amazing. I mean, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's—do you think that it was harder um, coming up as a lawyer as a woman, or do you think that, you know, you face the same challenges no matter what? Yeah, I think it's definitely different as a woman in the space. Uh, you know, it's definitely still a male-dominated space. Uh, and there's especially, you know, big firms and continue to be male-dominated. Um, even when you people start their own practice, it's still male-dominated. So, yeah, there are a lot of kind of differences and there's less support, I would say, for a woman uh, just as in general with any woman business owners. Yeah. There's just less of us and there's less support. And you definitely a lot of times 
the you know the first person who's doing something or you have extra challenges that come with what you're doing um, just because of stereotypes people apply to you for your gender yeah mm. how did you overcome that like how did you what did you do like when you were young and you're kind of looking for mentors or people to model yourself after like how did you do that yeah I think it's uh, you know it's something you know I really I learned a lot about kind of the challenges I, I would say in law school I wrote a paper on the kind of something called, it's a phenomenon called the double bind which women are subject to in the like professional women are subject to in their workplace where they're uh, they're expected to be you know ag- aggressive and have some of these traditionally masculine qualities but then they're also negatively looked at for that and mm. expected to be feminine at the same time yeah but you can't be too feminine so you basically have to find this impossible balance of making men comfortable in the workplace right with, mm. with you and your performance of your gender and this this was something I had seen and read a lot of studies about and written an article about and applied it to the 2008 election because we had two uh, you know female candidates running for um, president and vice president then and they both got hit with different stereotypes in the gender spectrum for women mm. based on how they perform their gender and so it's something I, I knew some knowledge about and my opinion to the whole thing has been we can't give in to that because if women do end up trying like it's a battle you can't win there's you right. can't really perform your gender in a way that makes men comfortable because they're always going to be uncomfortable with something and if we do try, we're just feeding into that system. So it's not stopping the system and it's going to continue to hurt further generations. You know what's funny about this? It's it, not funny, but um, ironic. It's if they had any, if men had any idea how many times we were uncomfortable. <laughs> like mm. I've been uncomfortable so many times in my career, throughout my career. and But we've taken on all of this responsibility of making men comfortable you know, in the office and in professional environments and even mm-hmm. our clients and things. And it's it's interesting to me um, if they could, like if there was some sort of magic out there where we could switch places and they could just be like a woman in these environments for a day and be like, man, that that was really awkward. <laughs> you now know? That, yeah. yeah. Now that you have your own legal practice, how do you, um, you know, like kind of campaign against these sort of gender biases in your own leadership? Is this something that yeah. you instill with how you present yourself and with your team and with your clients? Yeah, I mean, I, I continue to abide by what I think you present as yourself. Like, you, mm-hmm. you don't, I don't try to perform my gender in a specific way. I just, right. I am myself. And right. that way, I think it's a mo- more authentic relationship. And it's something that you're comfortable with. And it's also something that... Uh, you know, kind of moves us all forward if we're all allowed to be who we really are. Mm, so yeah. I think that's important. Like everyone just has to be comfortable being themselves. And I also, you know, definitely still get situations where, you know, in different contexts where some man has said something that's like I was at a conference last year and some man came up to me and said, what is a woman lawyer doing here? Oof. Uh, what? Last yeah, year? Yeah. happened. It's, it's just... Yeah, I, I mean, I was shocked too. It was a tech conference. I mean, it was mostly men, but still, and I, like, I was I was shocked that he even let that come out of his mouth. So, yeah. you know, I just made it uncomfortable for him. And I think that's what we do. I just told yeah. him, what does my gender have to do with anything? So he just started stuttering. So you just wow. kind of, I think, have to call out, call them out. And once they, 
you call them out, I think a lot of them maybe realize that something was wrong with what they said and they yeah. learn and they don't. Oh um, uh, yeah. I once it. I once had I was working as a freelancer like for a small agency and I once had a client try to get me to go to the strip club with them <laughs> after a dinner and when I when I um declined he said, "Oh, come on, let's go support some single mothers." Oh my god. Mm-hmm. I was a single mother. Terrible. <laughs> wow. And I remember that being like Wow, I have to like work really hard not to smack this person. Mm, <laughs> you, know yeah. I mean? you just have this moment and you have to call mm-hmm. these things out because if you don't call it out, if you if we don't call it out, they're going to do it to the next woman that they work with. Yeah. Right. So exactly it's, right. I read this great thing. I can't remember the exact source of who it was that wrote this, but they said that if if someone ever says something sexist like that and then they try to be like, oh, it's just joking. If you then make them explain the joke by saying, okay, but why was that funny? Like, can you explain the joke to me? Then they're backed into a corner and (laughs) realize that actually it's not really that funny at all. It's just really sexist. And I thought that was a really great way of handling people who say things like that because what I often find in my own personal experience is that when you call people out on stuff, they go, oh, you just can't take a joke. I was just joking, like. Trying to play it down. Why is it funny? Mm -hmm. Why is it funny? (laughs) So you've built quite a reputation for yourself. Um, You've been interviewed in a lot of places. Um, Mm. How have you built your reputation as a lawyer and as an expert in several of these key topics? I mean, you're being interviewed about everything from startup law to blockchain to intellectual property. So what has been your strategy? Yeah, it just, um, I guess it goes back to just kind of being comfortable in myself, uh, you know, especially, you know, when I think as you get older, you get more and more comfortable with yourself and mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, it's, I'm good at what I do. I've done it for a long time. I help, you know, companies really get these kind of in emerging areas, get the right agreements in place, get, you know, deal with the kind of gray that comes with that emerging area. I mean, I deal with other businesses, small businesses in in different areas from, you know, in tech to entertainment, to professional services, consulting services, um, and help them just make sure they're protected and Mm. that they have the right different agreements with their clients, with their vendors, with their terms of service, privacy policies, intellectual property issues, software agreements, all of that just really protected in a way to help them limit their liabilities and scale and generate revenue. And I think the fact that I've litigated as well has really helped me kind of see issues that others who may not have had that uh, practice, had that experience as well, don't see. They don't necessarily see the ambiguity in certain language or the problem that certain language in a contract is if they've never had to take it to court. Mm. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. So what? So is this because people kind of use like templates from the internet that they find and then don't really have proper contracts for their own circumstances that leads to, to trouble? Or is this, What do you see? What's the most common yeah. cause? Yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, common ways that I find founders and business owners get in trouble. I mean, one of them is they either 
don't have agreements in place, right? They're relying on oral agreements or they've got some kind of deficient agreement that they found online or they use some kind of, you know, template that they purchased online from one of these, you know, mass like LegalZoom or something like that. So it's, and the problem is none of these are tailored to their business and what they're trying to do. Mm. And it creates problems down the line with their with co-founders with clients you know I'll, I'll use a example a couple examples that I've seen in the past couple of years one some guy had tried to he just cut found some things online cut and paste you know an agreement and yeah. it didn't actually obligate his customers to pay him so now he wasn't getting paid wow by customers so you know losing out on revenue on tens of thousands of dollars in revenue because he decided to you know cut cut a couple thousand on costs in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It is so important. I mean, you can really screw yourself by not hiring a lawyer in so many circumstances in life. I mean, mm. <laughs> it's um, – or trying to cut costs on legal fees. It's it's interesting that – it's interesting that so many people still do it. I understand, mm. like, the bootstrapping mentality and that kind of stuff. But really the consequences can be dire yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give you an uh, even harsher example that I've encountered is someone who had built out a business for about a year and a half, two years, uh, paid consultants, built out a prototype. Um, they hadn't talked to anyone until they talked to me mm. that far in, and their business model was illegal. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's why I always tell people, you can come to me with your business plan and we can, you know, you can get counsel around that and make sure that if there are any potential problems, you're kind of addressing it and revising from the beginning versus this situation. I mean, the decision was ultimately made to close the business. Mm, like how much money did they sink into this business before they found that's out? What I, yeah, yeah. They wasted like at least two years of cost to kind of build out this business that had nowhere to go. And so... It's really a situation you shouldn't be in. And there are, and I was telling people, just you need a budget for all of this. Like yeah. legal and tax are both important issues that you need to budget from from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I also think a lot of businesses who are seeking investment are trying to cut into these corners. And I mean, no, no legitimate investor is going to invest in a business that doesn't have agreements in place and doesn't have that kind of do legal due diligence. Yeah, like they, sure. they don't want to invest in, you know, lawsuits. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I mean, if you think about people pay for logos, they pay for like accounting services and stuff, and then they go and like, you know, Facebook ads, pay for Facebook ads. (laughs) Right. They like Mm -hmm. see the value in advertising Mm -hmm. and then, you know, don't see the value in like the legal stuff up front to make sure that it's sometimes, you know, you know, something that could even work. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yeah, And I, I tell people, you know, it, we can prioritize like we don't have to do it all like at the right like at once we can figure out what the you know 10 things you need to do are and then do one and two this month and then maybe do the next couple in a couple months so you can kind of budget for it but mm-hmm. it needs to be done you can't just ignore it yeah exactly wow um so what are the other things that you see like say I come to you and I'm like okay Morverid, I am ready. I am starting this business. It's this. It's that. I, it's I'm starting an agency. Let's say um, I'm going to hire two people. I've got these three contracts ready to go. You know, guns blazing. I'm ready to go. What is the first thing that you tell me to do? Yeah. So I mean, it's getting those agreements to be in good shape. 
and then agreements with whatever, I mean, there's various agreements any new business is going to need. I mean, if you have a founder, the founder agreement's important. If you mm-hmm. have employees, the employee or employee agreement is important. Or if you have consultants, consultant agreement. You're going to have agreements with your clients. That's an important contract. That's important for a business to invest in whatever agreement they're using with their customers or clients. Mm-hmm. Um they have a website terms of service privacy policies are going to be important if they're using vendors that's going to be very important um, and then depending on what the business is actually doing there are some you know issues to make sure that you know legal questions around what they're doing like is what they're doing legal are they complying with the law things like that and that'll just be uh, I mean all of that will be tailored to the specific business and its business model and tech specifically, because we have a lot of people who have like tech startup ideas who listen to the podcast. So are there specific issues that come up with just tech companies? Yeah, I mean, those agreements are even more important for tech companies because it, there's a lot of, um, you know, ish, a lot of people are doing very unique things or innovative things with tech. So it is even more important to have tailored agreements for your business, particularly with the agreement with your customers, particularly the agreement for terms of service, privacy policy, all those um, agreements, because whatever you're doing is, is usually innovative and it's different or you're trying to be different than what the others have done. So cut and paste is not going to work for sure. Yeah, yeah. So it might be a service that like your customers have never had before, like, I don't know something but they've never so like all of that stuff that they agree to and sign in the beginning of like signing up for the app or whatever you're selling them all of that stuff needs to be thought way in advance to make sure that it can all happen but also what's kind of what's the situation now with um privacy law in terms of like in california there's now the privacy laws around um data storage and and that kind of thing and in europe they have gdpr how do you see that changing over the next few years and what do business owners need to do to prepare? Well, they need to be compliant with privacy law in wherever they're kind of transacting. So it depends on, again, on, on their specific business, what laws they need to comply with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's important to be doing that analysis because there are, you know, penalties and fines associated with many of these laws. Mm. So you don't want to be found to be in violation um, and there's, I think in the U.S. in particular, there's just going to be continuing uh, complexity coming from this because we have the California law that went into effect uh, this past January. And then we had a, uh, a ballot initiative that got passed, uh, uh, what was it, like a, almost a month ago now that's going into effect in a couple years as well. So that brings extra complexity. And then we have more states that are looking at um, law, privacy laws, and then we have, we'll see if there will be a federal law. I think if you get a federal law, that will at least create a more uniform, potentially, if it's preempt, if it can preempt state laws and create a more uniform framework, which will be easier for businesses. Mm, yeah, because this is what I was wondering is that like, say you're a business in, um, I, I don't know which states have different privacy laws, but say like Texas, for example, <laughs> and but you have people that visit your website from California. Does that mean that you need to have all of those same? things in place like the, for the is it ccpa yes yeah, ccpa um I, it would probably depend on how many consumers you're transacting with and what you're doing with the data so it require kind of detailed analysis mm-hmm. so let's talk about really quickly business partner agreements 
right? What are the number one, um, you know, because we have a lot of people who want to go into business with their best friend or, you know, a family member or something like that. What's the, what are the pitfalls that you see when people, either the things that they leave out of business partner agreements or, you know, don't think about or can happen to them by not having one? Yeah, I mean, they, the biggest thing I would see is they don't have an agreement in place yeah. because, you know, their friends and family. And let me tell you, I've seen, I've been involved in cases where people have been suing their own moms. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, like, how rosy things look at the beginning. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's going to end rosy. Yeah. Um, so it's important to get that agreement in place. And I always tell people, you can blame, you know, you can blame me. You can say my lawyer is making me have this agreement. Like, right. That's what you need to do. That's fine. But we do need to get this agreement in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big problem. I also think another big problem is, again, they just find something online or from one of these uh, template shops and they don't actually get something that's specific to their business. So there is often um, missing terms or um, confusion about who owns what. And I've, yeah. and I've seen like them use, um, you know, the wrong type of uh, agreement as well. I, there was a, like last year, there was a company, some a client was telling me about they've been invited to join a company and they were being offered stock in a company that didn't have stock. And I told them, you cannot, <laughs> you cannot oh. sign this because you're getting nothing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> this means nothing. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So was that another template job then? Or, or were they actually being quite devious in that situation and trying to screw the person over? I think it was just from um, being the company just being cheap and not wanting to get a lawyer and uh, but they had created a mess right now imagine people who did because there's also people who did sign the contract right who didn't have um lawyers and who didn't actually understand what was going on and imagine yeah. the the fallout when you know a year down the road they're like they're like where's my stock <laughs> mm. yeah oh gosh um okay so Let's see. So you actually have spoken recently a lot about blockchain and Bitcoin. Mm. Um, So tell me a little bit about that. Like, what do you see as blockchain's influence on the law or vice versa? Yeah, I think uh, emerging tech in general is, you know, a continuing kind of area that's developing and going to continue to create innovation and make more efficiencies in transactions and um, in our societies, as well as uh, just create more, um, I guess, efficiency in how we do business and everything. Of course, there's extra complexities that come with all of this that Mm. I think people don't um, don't realize there are a lot of kind of legal complications and implications that come with the use of, you know, blockchain and um, artificial intelligence and IoT. And those are some of the, like, as a business in that space, in any of those spaces, you're facing a lot of those issues. And, you know, being a a front runner in that space also means you are going to have to deal with the fact that there is a lot of gray and you have to be extra careful and making sure you get counsel and really set yourself up for the best legal arguments in case or, or when, you know, when you get called into court. Would you say that's always a given? Like the more innovative you're being or the more like avant-garde your space is, the more you should be thinking about legal 
protections. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because it's not, I think sometimes people who are, um, try to falsely say it's a wild west, so that means I don't have to comply with any laws. Mm, well, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> laws exist. Um, you may it, it may be trying to fit like a square pig in a round hole, but yeah. you know, regulators and and uh, you know people who you've harmed are not going to just you say, oh well, you know, you did, it was a wild west, so you know mm-hmm. you're good. <laughs> so yeah. that's not how it works. You have an obligation to try to comply in a reasonable way, and so that's. Um, I, I would say there's a high higher cost of compliance with any of these emerging areas. But actually, mm-hmm. you know, while you do have to incur that higher cost, mm-hmm. you also get the big upside of being, if you you know, a success if you're successful, of one of the first players in the space, and that yeah. gives you really big upside. So it's you know, if you're taking that risk you should be prepared for you know the risk and reward kind of go together Mm. yeah it's funny it's a wild west that actually doesn't exist but law does (laughs) (laughs) the wild west hasn't existed for a long time (laughs) that's interesting and the funny thing about this is is like those creative minds right those like lateral thinkers visionary thinkers etc like it's kind of the opposite of going through the the gory detail, like when it comes mm-hmm. to covering yourself, right? It's like the opposite yeah. kind of personality type. Mm. So it's probably the people who need you the most are the last ones who are looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of yeah, first, I, oh sorry, no. <laughs> oh, oh, I that. was just gonna say, yeah, I was just gonna say that with any of these uh, um, emerging areas, you know, particularly like AI and blockchain, all this, I think it's really important to have multidisciplinary people involved to have this really um, kind of grow and uh, function on a basis that makes sense. Mm. Uh, you know, you need you need the tech people, you need the lawyers, you need ethics people, you need all these people kind of involved to have a successful and uh, product and something that really makes sense for our future. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was just going to say, speaking of kind of first player to market, mm. if you're a business owner and you've got an idea and you think it's pretty new, but you want to start talking to people about it because, I don't know, you're raising investment or you're trying to hire. Um, What is your advice or tips for a business owner on protecting their IP at an early stage? Is it something where you should have, like, non-disclosure agreements? Um, Are they expensive to draw up? Like, what's what's the process there if you've you've got something novel? Mm. Yeah, I mean, you should uh, definitely get counsel early on and then work with counsel for best protecting the intellectual property. And that will be a combination of, you know, registering uh, intellectual property as appropriate Mm. and then putting in the appropriate contractual uh, protections where appropriate, as well as taking um, any other kind of protection policy protections you may need in your business to protect things, uh, you know, as as trade secrets were appropriate. So yeah, it's a it's not like a, sometimes I think people think you know, I maybe I registered, you know, my trademark or something like that, and that's it. That's the end of it. Like I, I my IP is good now. No, I mean that's the first step. Now you actually have to protect it, and that's really imp- something important that has to be done in your contracts. Here's the thing I don't really understand about trade secrets. Maybe you can um, enlighten me. Is is it true that if you have a trade secret, but then you talk about it, then it's technically not a secret anymore. Therefore, it doesn't count as a trade secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends on who you're sharing it with, right? Okay. I mean, is it internal discussion between, you know, in your business? Are you sharing it with third parties? 
then that's a problem, right? Yeah. So it's definitely, there's definitely limits to how it can be shared in order to preserve its secret status. Okay. So if it's like within an internal context, then your employees or the contractors you're working with are kind of bound by their contract not to talk about the trade secrets that you're discussing. But if you speak to an external party, then you risk that trade secret no longer being your trade secret and therefore you lose your claim to the IP? I, I Well, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated that, than that. It really, you know, you need <laughs> appropriate agreements in place. I mean, you need to be only even internally, like, you know, are you, is it need to know? Or are you disclosing it to people who really need to be disclosed? Like, how are you handling it? How are you preserving the secrecy? So there's a whole bunch of kind of factors that go into that. Mm. Um, and then, you know, um, you know how, are, are you dis, how are you disclosing it, you know, outside? You know, there's... Again, you know, sometimes businesses do, like I have clients who do strategic partnerships with other businesses. So, again, it just depends on the yeah. situation. But with all of this, again, it's very important to have the right agreements in place because that all like intellectual property and data are big issues, especially in the tech space. And mm. there needs to be appropriate provisions around that in all your agreements. Otherwise, you with intellectual property specifically, if you lose the protection or weaken the protection, allowing someone to basically be able to infringe, then you've lost the value of your business. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's your most valuable asset. So it's not an area you should, that's why I think people don't even realize like you can't, like if you're using bad contracts, particularly in the tech or entertainment space, you are risking making your company valueless. Yeah. Mm. Right. So for women who um, are maybe working for a firm right now and they want to go out on their own and <laughs> start their own practice, which is massive, what would you say? I mean, is there anything that you want to share from your journey or advice you want to give? I think it's just, you know, I think it's, uh, from my experience, a lot of lawyers are not entrepreneurial. So, mm. you know, if you're entrepreneurial, then it's something to consider, um, and then, you know, just, you just kind of go for it. I think it's a learning process, you know, through the process I've learned what, it, what it takes to, you know, be a business owner. And it's let me, I think, relate to my clients better as well. Cause I'm also a business. Mm. Right. Yeah. So did you like, would you tell them that you would need to have clients ahead of time or like some people lined up or, you know, did you have like a, a fund that you started to support yourself while you're building the business? Like, are there any technical um, things that you'd tell them about actually making that leap from lawyer to lawyer and entrepreneur? I think it's people do it at different times in different places. I kind of just went for it and coming from a, you know, a firm that was working with like Fortune 100 companies, I I obviously didn't like they were not going to those Fortune 100 companies were not going to come with me. So yeah. I started with from scratch. Right. Um and so, some so it's just like I guess it comes down to like again how entrepreneurial entrepreneur are you? Are you okay with that risk? And I decided at that point in time like I, you know, I was okay with the risk. I was going to take it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're just taking your experience and you're like, okay, 
That's it. Yeah, I just jumped in and like, you know, <laughs> that's a, a totally a, un, a typically unlawyer-like thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is very unlawyer-like, I will say. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're, it's like mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily have the Jerry Maguire moment, like the who's coming with me, but you definitely had the like, okay, I'm worth it. I'm jumping. Who wants to be my client? Like, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, you know, I can stay, I continue doing this, this big firm thing and, you know, it's not allowing me to you know I'm not really building something that's my own and then I can just leave and you know build my own thing and so that was something that was um, exciting to me personally so I I just went for it yeah there was this billboard that was pop popping up all over the place I think Fiverr sponsored it um, a few years ago and it was like how much money did you make your boss today Uh, (laughs) and I think that's it it's like a lot of entrepreneurial people they're like well I have the expertise I want to build my own empire I'm just gonna do it and that's the biggest thing it's the decision yeah it is I think that's what differentiates entrepreneurs um, from everyone else it's you know everyone has an idea at some point or Mm. or not or considers like leaving but there are a few of us that actually just say you know what I'm doing it like Mm. I'm I, I mean yeah. I'm going to leave. And I definitely had, I'm sure you guys have as well. I've had friends that at the beginning were like, what are you doing? Like, how can you leave, you know, a good job and benefits, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone wants to kind of have more of a personal session with you or advice or work with you, where can they find you? Yeah, my I have my website. It's um, my last name, so solarpolaw.com. They can reach me through there. Um, I also have strategy sessions available there. My email is also, um, they can reach me. It's my first initial last name, so msolipor at solarpolaw.com. And I'm on LinkedIn as well with my name. So you can find me there. I also, both on LinkedIn and other social media like Instagram and on YouTube, I post um, some tips for founders about once a week, kind of letting you know what they need to look out for and when, you know, it's best to talk to an attorney because I think a lot of times, you know, it's not that people are purposely getting in trouble. It's just from a lack of knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you. It's good. been so, so great speaking to you. And I think this has been a really like useful episode for many people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're you're the first um, lawyer that we've had on. And I think we're just going to get a ton of questions after this episode. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get a ton of inquiries. So that is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And if I get to LA anytime soon, if we get this vaccine out, I will hit you up so that we can have a glass of wine or a coffee. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Chat soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%. Listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.